Amen. And we are going to talk about Jesus. And as we do, we turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. With this testimony of the Gospel and the beautiful music we've just sung ringing in our ears, it leads me to ask you a question. What is a quintessential Christmas What does it feel like for you and your family? What does it look like? What does it taste like? Is it like that first peppermint mocha when they come out? Is it waking up early on Christmas morning to the expectation and excitement of all those presents? Is it the music rolling down those windows and letting it blast? Or is it your favorite movie and no debate over which is the Christmas movie and which isn't tonight? With a crock pot full of hot cocoa? All those things are right and good and bring about so much happiness around Christmas time. But what if you spent all that time creating a spectacular Christmas Wrapping the gifts perfectly and beautifully. Wrapping them and then gathering around with your family on Christmas morn. An awe-inspiring look at those perfectly wrapped gifts. And whether folks rip open or carefully, carefully with painstaking detail, open up the paper and fold it. What if... On this Christmas morn, no one opened those gifts. Be a disappointment, wouldn't it? What if all those truly spectacular gifts of Christmas 
some of them that I just named, are actually and are, are just the wrapping paper. And the real gift, the real gift is inside. So often, so often we get our eyes twinkled by the wrapping paper and miss the real gift of Christmas inside. And maybe you're thinking, oh, pastor, I've seen that Hallmark movie. The true spirit of Christmas is in you. If only you would dot, 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 right? Fill in the blank. We try hard, don't we? Despite our wins and losses to make it the best Christmas possible. And look, it's important, especially when we serve our fellow neighbor, when we serve one another. It's, it's beautiful, not just beautiful, important that we do that. But, friends, if Christmas is just something you're responsible for getting or, or even giving, as one scholar put it in his book, Hidden Christmas, and the bad news is, you're on your own. But, if it's true, if what we testify to tonight and what we've just read really happened, then something has really changed. The Scriptures tell us that a gift has been brought to you and to me and for all the world. And that gift is peace. But what is this gift? And where is it? Could it be right? Could it be true? I mean, after all, you and I, we know all about the discord. Whether it's on the micro level between the cowboys and the eagles, or on the macro level between nations, or whole people groups, or political parties. We know all about discord. And if we're really being real tonight, and here at Faith we seek to be real and tell the truth in love. If we're really being real, then we have to be honest that that discord impacts our own families, among our own friends, our own co-workers. And so where? Where do we find that peace? Well, I'll ask you another question. What if, what if, what if it wasn't about what you do? What if... What if in unwrapping this gift of Christmas, it was about what Christ did? And what you do comes later. I want to invite you tonight to unwrap the real, true gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas that is historic. The gift of Christmas that is historic in our timeline, the reality of our history, the gift of Christmas that is realistic. Jesus didn't wait until you got the house cleaned up before He came. Your real life and mine, our real circumstances, He comes to it tonight where we really are. And the gift of Christmas is up close and personal. Because God comes to us literally face to face. Emmanuel, God with us. These real gifts of Christmas will 
examine tonight. And I suppose nothing is more quintessential Christmas than a Christmas pageant. Whether you're with us this past Sunday when our children and youth presented the gospel message so beautifully and powerfully in their own Christmas play, or whether you're watching one of your favorite TV shows in a Christmas pageant, and all of a sudden, before you know it, baby Jesus is there. And of course, a little kid with donkey ears. <laughs> well, I read about one of those quintessential stories this week. One of them was about a young little boy, a seven-year-old boy named Wally. He was a bit underestimated. He didn't exude all that well when it comes to confidence. And so his play director gave him a straightforward role, an easy line to remember. He was going to be the innkeeper. And all he had to say was, when Mary and Joseph arrived, there's no room in the inn. Well, he practiced his line diligently. He had it down. When that night came to perform, and in the pageantry of it all, in the moment of the story, of the testimony of Christmas, he was overwhelmed. And as Mary and Joseph approached him in the impending arrival of Jesus, he couldn't bring himself He just couldn't bring himself to tell Mary and Joseph there was no room at the inn. And so, without thinking, he just blurted out when they came before him, sure, there's plenty of room in my house. Now, before we laugh at poor Wally and make too much fun of him, when it comes to first century hospitality in that region of Israel, remember I told you Christmas is historic. Wally may not be that far from the truth. And when it comes to the room he was making for Christ in his own heart, well, he had the right idea there too. Remember, Christmas is historic. As archaeologist and Israel expert and pastor wrote in his book, Recovering the Way, no Judean family in the first century, no self-respecting family would shame themselves to ever reject a member of their own clan coming for lodging. You see, Mary and Joseph were traveling from Nazareth. They were traveling from Nazareth, and they weren't coming to stay in a motel like this image I took in modern-day Bethlehem. They came, the Greek there is katlamina, which... Usually we translate it to inn, but it's better for us to understand in English, guest room. Historically, as Mary and Joseph were responding to this census that required the whole family to come to their ancestral home, Bethlehem, of course, Joseph would have had clan members, family members there to stay with. And it's likely in a first century home that's usually and often built over a cave so that the animals could stay at night underneath as part of the home. This home was probably in this small Bethlehem village bustling with people traveling in for the census. And there literally was no room in the guest room for them. 
And so whether it was full because of that, or maybe this mysterious pregnancy wanted their clan and family members to keep them kind of at arm's length, and they put them down in the downstairs cave where the animals dwell, this historic reality was true. You know, the gospel accounts are painstakingly accurate. Since, for example, we, knew, we know that Luke wrote the gospels within decades of when Jesus lived, died, and rose again. It's like instant news decades in when it comes to ancient history. When Luke writes the time that Kyrgyz was governor of Syria, it would be like us saying when Bruce King or Gary Carruthers was governor of New Mexico, we would know exactly the time period in which they served and what was going on. And if we don't remember when they were governors, we can Google it. But of course, the first century hearers would have known. Of course, Kyrgyz was governor then and the census happened then. They would have known right away if Luke got it right. Historians tell us now that he did. But those first hearers would have challenged it right away had he not been accurate. The point is, this happens in our real history, in a real room, made in very real, humble circumstances, was our king, born so much different than the customs of Caesar Augustus was the king of the world. And as we will soon discover, and we listen anew again this night, as Mary and Joseph actually made that trek, that 70-mile trek from Nazareth walking down to Bethlehem. This Christmas gospel is unlike another story being told this week. Bethlehem was, wasn't in a galaxy far, far away. Jesus came to a real time and a real place to make real transformation in your life and in mine. And yes, indeed, the whole world. Situated in history, affirmed and verifiable from archaeologists like Jerry Vardaman who found micro letters on coins identifying Kyrgyz as governor. Textual critics of the Bible from Princeton like Bruce Metzger who tell us and affirm that this text is verifiable and true. And ancient non-Christian first century historians like Josephus who tell us about censuses like these that draw families from Galilee to Bethlehem. Friends, this Christmas gift is no parable. It's not an empty box. Something's in there. And what is it? Let's shake it some more and find out. A gift foretold for hundreds of years with prophecies fulfilled outside of the circumstances and control, outside of the circumstances and control of Mary and Joseph or even Jesus. When you think of prophecies like how many silver coins were used to pay for Judas to betray Jesus foretold hundreds of years before. Or a little town like Bethlehem 
or a virgin born to be king. These prophecies, hundreds of them from the Old Testament, all fulfilled by Jesus. Could it be that someone else could have fulfilled these prophecies? In the case for Christmas, Pulitzer Prize winner and investigative journalist writes, not a chance. The odds are so astronomical, he writes, that they would rule anyone else out from being someone who would fulfill all those promises. In fact, someone estimated, he goes on to write, that the probability of fulfilling just eight, just eight of the hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled is one chance in 100 million billion. And the number of millions, that's a number of millions of times greater than the total number of people who've ever walked the planet. He calculated, for example, to give us a perspective on this, leaning on another scholar, he said, if you took 100 trillion silver dollars, if you took them and covered the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, and then you took just one of those coins and marked it up and wrote on it, and then you blindfolded someone and plopped them in the state and told them to walk around, And if they would have happened to pick up that one coin among so many that was marked, that would be the same chances that Jesus would fulfill. Just eight of these prophecies, much less all of them. Friends, this promise, this gift, this salvation is historic. And it's not just historic It's realistic. For example, when we settle for just wrapping paper relationships, that is getting to know folks about as well as what they write in their Christmas letter, then we don't go deep. We don't get real with our loved ones, do we? And God, he gets real with us. He comes to us in this real world. Jesus came to Bethlehem humbly. It was busy. Joseph's family put them in the room down under. Set aside for animals. Yes, indeed, this king came humbly. Humbly, but as the angels would announce, in humility it would show God's glory. Verified by those very shepherds, by the way, who didn't just hear what the angels had to say, they ran and checked and verified that, yes, there was an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. Yes, found there in the manger. And so too, tonight, we can remember that Jesus comes into our busy, imperfect lives. Maybe, like some, you've held him at arm's length, casting him out as unverifiable. Maybe you thought you needed to get your life right first or be ready for him. But the world wasn't perfect in the first century when Christ came to be with us, and it's not perfect now. As I walked among this spot that you can still go to today in Bethlehem, to the very place where most scholars agree Jesus was born. It wasn't perfect when we walked among it. Our guides were fighting with each other. People were pushing. They were rushing us through. Jesus comes to the realistic, real, great or broken world that you and I live in. 
If we welcome Christ, who was welcomed in a room with animals, then we can trust that Jesus is coming for us. For Jesus is unlike, as one author put it, any other world religion. He didn't come to give us a way. The scriptures tell us he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He embodied it. He is the savior of the world. The only way. After all, why would the infinite come to the finite if there was any other way? Why would the infinite come to the finite if not for one reason? Love. And that brings us to the third truth. Not only is the gift of Christmas historic, not only is the gift of Christmas realistic, but the gift of Christmas is personal. God with us, face to face, and he brings us peace. But what does this little phrase mean in the text tonight? For those whom he is pleased. It's a better translation than the phrase that we're used to from the King James. What does it mean for those with whom he is pleased? Is Jesus some sort of data collector? Like when you go on social media and an ad shows up for something that you were just talking about and you're kind of creeped out? Or is Jesus the ultimate elf on the shelf to see if God is well pleased with you to bring you peace? No. Actually, the truth is, God knows every good deed, every good thought, every disparaging thought, every dark corner of our lives. Scriptures tell us in Psalm 139, he knows even the very head on our heads. And this knowledge didn't keep him away from us on the first Christmas Eve. And it doesn't keep him away from us tonight. In fact, it caused him to come out of the infinite to the finite because he loves you. This incarnation, this incarnate put on flesh to bring us the ultimate peace, the peace that comes for us with God. Our war with God comes to an end. We are sinners reconciled with God. It's why Luther said that the cross is never too far off from the manger. Some scholars have even hypothesized, and we can't be sure about this, it's just an interesting idea, that they may have been taking care of sheep that would one day be sacrificed for the community's sin in the temple. And that when they left those sheep, they ran to the final lamb that any of us would ever need, the sacrificial lamb that is Christ our Lord. After all, a short time later, gifts would be brought, frankincense and myrrh. Did you know those are burial spices? God comes to us face to face to give us the ultimate peace, the ultimate gift, to be with us, for us, God comes face to face and gives us this gift. And then that peace, having received it, overflows from us to our family, friends, neighbors, and the world around us. To understand this incarnation, I often like to tell the story of a husband who stayed home Christmas Eve. Stayed home on Christmas Eve 
when his family wanted to go off to Christmas Eve services, he thought, oh, this doctrine isn't for me. I can make my own doctrine. I can experience Christmas on my own right here at home. And so he did. He stayed at home as his wife and kids went off to the services. And looking out the window of his home that frosty Christmas night, it was cold outside his home. He saw a group of strays. He had some Christmas compassion, and so he put his coat on, walked outside, opened up their attached garage and barn, and opened up the door, tried to coax them in out of the cold, the little protection for the night. And no matter what he tried or whatever he did, he just couldn't convince those strays to come in out of the cold, to be saved, to be rescued. Finally, he gave up and went back inside and looked out the frosty window. And as he looked, he thought to himself, if I could just, if I could just be one of them for just a moment to show them the way. And then like a crashing wave you didn't see coming, it hit him. That's what God has done to be with us, to bring God's rescue plan of salvation as the Savior of the world. But He didn't come just to lead the way. He came to be the way. He embodied the way. He is the way. A doctrine of saving yourself will lead you to pride or despair, but not the kind of unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love that Christ gives us. When we aren't trying to get something, then we can actually truly love because He first loved us. Friends, tonight, I invite you, unwrap the gift of Christmas. This Christmas that God prepared beforehand throughout history, in our history, that comes to us in the reality of the world as we're living it, not as we wished we would, it would be. And now comes to us this night, God with us, Emmanuel, face to face. Invite him in. Don't spend Christmas looking at the wrapping paper. Get the real thing. For in the former days, he spoke to the prophets of old, but now he speaks to us through his son. God with us face to face is the exact imprint of His grace for us. Invite Him not into the cave down under or arm's length. Confess what He already knows anyway, your sin. For He is the Savior of the world. Let Him in the central room of your heart. For He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. Merry Christmas. Amen.